Community Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we are speaking with Dr. Mike Greenberg. Dr. Greenberg currently serves as the Program Director for Target Zero, a nonprofit organization that helps municipal shelters achieve a 90-plus percentage live release proportion through implementation of best practices. He has a strong interest in a strategic, data-driven approach to animal welfare and co-authored the book, Every Nose Counts, A Guide to Using Metrics in Animal Shelters. He completed his training in shelter medicine with the Maddie's Shelter Medicine Program at Cornell's College of Veterinary Medicine in 2011. Since that time, he's worked clinically and as a consultant for multiple public and private animal shelters throughout the United States. He's based in Nashville, Tennessee, where he served as the medical director for Pet Community Center for several years, while also providing animal welfare consulting services to shelters around the Southeast. He has always taken a big picture approach to animal welfare. He feels strongly that addressing animal welfare at the community level will ultimately enable us to help more animals and the people who care for them. In addition to working within the United States, he has enjoyed volunteering with organizations throughout the world, whether vaccinating street dogs in India, teaching spay and neuter in Cape Verde, or helping to build safety net programs here at home. Mike will often say, this is an engineering problem. We've got the tools. We can fix this. Mike, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Thank you. Thank you. So I know it sounds like you, you went a bit into this in your bio, but how did you find your passion for animal welfare? Yeah, I had often worked with animal shelters, animal rescue groups of various shapes and sizes, starting when I was pretty young, even in middle school and high school. Some of my first jobs and volunteer positions were were with animals in in sheltering environments and rescue environments. But I was actually not one of those people who said, I want to be a vet. I was I was one of those people. I actually remember our vet when I was really little saying, Do you want to be a vet? And I remember shaking my head and uh and I actually remember saying to him, It just seems like a lot of responsibility. And he kind of he kind of laughed. It was uh after sort of a circuitous route, ended up going to college and about partway through said, you know, I think there's something to this animal thing. And I really decided at that point to pursue it. And even then, I, I wasn't aware that you could be involved professionally in animal welfare. It was still a relatively new thing to me. It wasn't until I got out of school and I was working in a really small rural practice uh, doing mixed animal medicine, so cows, horses, dogs, cats. And I started volunteering with some shelters uh, nearby, just with some really small places, but with incredible people. And specifically, that was in, in upstate New York in Watkins Glen. And I remember specifically, there's Georgie Taylor was the director of the shelter I was working with. And she was just so dedicated to the animals she was taking in and just trying to do everything they could to take their little, it was a probably maybe 
20 by 20 foot concrete building and just wanted to make it the best she could. And I just, I, I enjoyed uh, working with her and, and helping her and her team out. And I just remember one day I was preg checking some cows <laughs> and I just had this realization. I said, you know, I think maybe I'm, I'm into working with herds, but instead of doing herds of cows, I think I, I want to do herds of cats and herds of dogs. But there was this idea of population level medicine, you know, groups of animals, as opposed to, you know, individuals that was, was of interest to me. And at that point, shelter medicine was really kicking into gear. And I heard about the program at Cornell and went on, went on from there. So can I ask how many years it was in between the Cornell program and before that time? Yeah, it, it actually was, it was not a lot of time at all. It was, I was only, I was out, you know, finished vet school and I was out for a year before I got before I got clawed back into it. So <laughs> very happily, very happily clawed back into it. So yeah, it wasn't a lot of time. And you know, it's one of those things you look back and you say, Oh, that's, that's why that happened that way. It all makes sense in retrospect during the time it didn't. <laughs> right. And are you, uh, one of those, uh, spay neuter veterinarians that likes to, you know, feels that, that high at the end of a day of doing, you know, 50 or a hundred community cats. <laughs> so so truth be told, I, uh, so when I, as the medical director of the, uh, pet community center here in Nashville, we did set up, uh, I was part of a team. We helped to set up and run the spay neuter clinic here for three years and really, really loved it. Now the, the high I feel in that regard is teaching other people to do it. Cause I really like helping other people to do it. And to be honest, my, my real interest, it's not quite here yet, but lies in non-surgical approaches to, to sterilization. That's kind of the other, another passion that I, that I have. So, so I'm sort of ending the future high. I know we've been talking about that side of things for a long time, but that's really, ooh, I'm, I'm excited about that. So it's a good thing to do. I think it's fantastic thinking about non, non-surgical sterilization is an, an incredible topic. And I've had, uh, Joyce Briggs on the show and, you know, there's a lot of, of cool research that's, that's going on out there. And so it, it, it is fascinating and it'll be very interesting to see what happens over the next, next several years. Absolutely. One of your other passions though, that I has come about is statistics as it applies to shelter statistics. Um, and you have partnered with two other colleagues with on a book called Every Nose Counts Using Metrics in Animal Shelters. Do you want to tell me a little bit about this book and how it came about? Yeah. So my two colleagues, uh, it was a labor of love and it took, <laughs> it took a long time, but it was really Dr. Jan Scarlett, who she's just incredible. She was started the shelter medicine program at Cornell in, in the late 90s, I think it was around 1999, I had the first course in, in shelter medicine and really grew the program from there. And, and, you know, I credit her with so much of this work over the last now almost 20 years in getting the field to where it is today. So she's just a champion. She's a veterinarian epidemiologist. And then Tiva Hoshizaki was as, is a veterinarian as well. And, and she, completed her residency in, in shelter medicine a few years after I finished my program there at Cornell. The book came about because during my time in the, in the program, 
I just honestly took a liking to working with the numbers, just looking, looking at data, uh, some simple things, intake outcomes, length of stay data in the shelters, things like that. And just trying to think about ways that we could use this information to help drive uh, decision-making. That was obviously an interest of Jan's with Dr. Scarlett's because of her epidemiology background. And at the end of my uh, program there, she said to me, do you want to write a book about this stuff with me? And I said, sure. How long do you think that'll be? She's like, oh, I'm sure, you know, we could do it this year. I said, that's great. And it was great. Five years later, we were done. So (laughs) (laughs) it was pretty, pretty simple. But that's, yeah, that's during the program, I got into the idea of metrics. And then it was really, it was really Jan who just helped teach me more about it. And in doing so gave me the ability to start to teach other people how to do it. So I'm going to ask you after I've read through this book and I would, was wondering, you know, specifically who is this book for and what are the purpose of metrics? When we, we sat down to write this book, we we said that we said, who's this book for? And what we decided to, that we really wanted to do was make a guidebook. And we intentionally called it that we didn't want it to be a super academic textbook or anything like that. We want it to be a practical, hopefully, hopefully practical guidebook for anyone involved in sheltering, in caring for, uh, homeless animals in, the industry, be it from a volunteer standpoint, from an employed standpoint, and and wanted to really cast a wide a wide net with the hope that if you were, you know, an experienced executive director who had a lot of extra letters after your name, or if you were just starting out in the field, you'd be able to get something out of this book. And in terms of what's you know what's the purpose what we started with, I remember actually sitting there and remember I had this background in, in dairy cattle. And I kind of sat there and Jan said, okay, we had a whiteboard in front of us. What should we do? And the initial sort of brainstorm was around the idea of key metrics in, you know, not to talk too much about cows, but in the, in the cow world, when I was doing that, although it was, you know, a short time and, and brief, it was really indelible. I remember having about four or five key metrics that we could sort of talk about with farmers and with those, you know, five numbers, you have a pretty clear picture of what their operation, what their farm looked like. And I said to Janet, you know, let's, let's aim for that with, with shelters. Let's have some key performance indicators to use kind of business speak for shelters. And we set about to, to try to start doing that. Needless to to say, you start delving into that and you get deeper and deeper and the number of metrics goes up and up and up. And so we kind of took a step back and said, I think what we're really saying here is how can we teach people to establish goals, establish measurable goals, and then show them how to use their data to generate metrics to measure, you know, progress toward those goals, or in some cases stagnation, or in some cases regress, or you know, getting away from the goals. So, in a nutshell, that was it. it was we want to teach people to set goals and then use metrics to get there? 
or rather to measure their progress towards them. We're never a fan of data for the sake of data. It's always, what's it, what's it doing for you? How is it, how's it driving your process? Hey everyone. We have another great webinar with Hannah Shaw, the kitten lady coming on October 21st at 11 a.m. Eastern time. Attending this webinar, you will learn everything you need to know about saving kittens' lives. She'll be talking all about kittens and bottle babies. This event will cover the ins and outs of kittens, including an overview of issues impacting cats and kittens, how to set up your home, manage your time, and make fostering fun. We'll also cover how to properly feed, clean, and provide basic medical care to a kitten, as well as how to get involved in your local community. To sign up for this free webinar, go to www.communitycatspodcast.com. I hope to see you there. It's on October 21st at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Join us and have fun. The Community Cats podcast will soon be a year old with over 200 episodes profiling amazing people who are all making a difference in the lives of community cats. If you would like to support the show but not be a sponsor, feel free to contribute to our efforts by going to www.communitycatspodcast.com and follow the donate link. Help us to continue to provide excellent programming. Much of this book is oriented towards maybe a larger shelter. Yeah. But there are certain key components, and I'm going to pick on a couple of the key components that, that are in the book that I think are important for every organization, regardless of your size. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm not choosing the right markers, but you talk about live release rates a lot and you talk about average length of stay. Can you define those two terms and tell me whether or not I'm kind of grasping at the, at the right, most important markers? Yeah, for sure. So, um, length of let's, we can start with average length of stay. Cause that one actually is pretty easy to define. So length of stay for a given animal is it's usually measured in days and it's the number of days that pass between an animal entering the organization. So the shelter, the rescue and the day that an outcome occurs. And the average of that is, is, you know, the arithmetic average where you sort of add up the lengths of stay for all of your animals, say over a given time period, you know, in a month and a year, and then just divide by that number. Um, we also talk a little bit about median length of stay, but that gets into more statsy stuff. So that's length of stay. Live release rate is actually a tougher one to define because as we, we get into it in the book, I won't get into all the details of it now. It's, it's a number that is not actually that well-defined. There's a lot of different calculations that people use when they talk about it. And it's always interesting, you know, uh, uh, for one thing, not to get too wonky about it, it's, it's, it's not usually actually a rate, it's a proportion, but people use that colloquially kind of inter interchangeably, regardless of the rate proportion discussion. Very often you ask shelters, oh, you know, how do you calculate your, you know, your live release rate or your live release proportion or your save rates and people call it, uh, you get different answers. And so the one that I always prefer is I always say, <laughs> okay, if I were a cat, what would I want to know? And I think what I would want to know is if I enter this organization, what is the probability that I exit it alive? The way to calculate that, you can also call that a live release proportion, is 
is simply in a given time period, so let's say uh, a year, how many animals entered the organization, the shelter, that would be on your denominator on the bottom. And then the top is how many left alive. The asterisk there is that some animals might not uh, be included in the in that denominator. It, you might say have owner requested euthanasias in some places, so you would remove those as long as those were you know uh, that was legitimate service that was offered. But really, it gets back to the question of if I enter this place, what are the you know what's the probability that I get out alive? The fact that it's not a one word answer or a one sentence answer to that that question is sort of the reason we wanted to write the book and be able to talk about things, explain them to people so that we all hopefully do start speaking the same language in a lot of these a lot of these cases. Right. That's the thing that I'm finding to be very confusing uh, is there are every organization, national organization in many cases, or even if you're doing a grant application, you're going to find so many different tables and different types of calculations. You know, there's a Silimar Accords and, you know, various other calculations out there. And is there, you know, I guess, you know, in the nonprofit world in general, we have GuideStar out there. And do we have anything or is there a desire to have anything like that specifically focused in the animal welfare region. Yeah. I mean, I think that, so you mentioned a Silomar that was one of the animal welfare wide attempts several years ago to get people on the same page for, for lack of a better word with regard to, uh, reporting and things like that. Now shelter animals count, uh, shelter animals count.org is, is probably the, the best example of that to have consistent reporting of intake and outcome data. And, the technology now is is obviously worlds further along than it was five, ten years ago, for sure. And it's certainly the case that more of the larger organizations, especially uh, funders, are looking at shelter animals count as as a potentially it's a, a standard uh, form of of data reporting. So I think in that regard, there's some real bright lights here. There's some real potential that at least we'll all be talking about the same thing. I don't think that getting into the nitty gritty debates about what's in the numerator, what's in the denominator and blah, 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 blah. I'm not, I'm not terribly interested in that. I think that as, as you mentioned, to make sure, make sure that we're all talking about the same thing, speaking the same language on the same page. So when you say live release proportion or save rate or whatever you say, I know what you're talking about. And maybe something like shelter animals count will, will help to drive that forward. I think the other place that we need to look as, uh, uh, animal welfare professionals and volunteers, the software companies. So the folks who are put together management software, obviously put together reports, they don't yet really do much in the way of data visualization. They do to, to some degree, but I think that people need to, you know, press press their software providers and say, "Hey, what does this mean? What you know? What am I really looking at here?" Some of them provide that, and I think in some cases it's a little bit harder to to dig down and 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 answer that question. So I'm going to look towards the future that I had sort of given you a hint before we 
hit the record button that I was going to going to ask you a question sort of but I've I'm going to twist my question a little bit from from my earlier proposal which was um going to sort of ask you about what you think life will be like for community cats going forward but I'm going to use the word forecasting and um because with statistics and you know numbers and predictions I would be much more interested in in understanding sort of what you forecast our statistical future to be. I'm thinking, you know, when you embark in a targeted spay-neuter effort, very deep dive, you're you're getting, you know, the low-hanging fruit and the high-hanging fruit, you're going to see your intakes of kittens go way, way down. The numbers of kittens you take in are going to go way down. Uh, Therefore, your average length of stay may go up, potentially. Is that something that we could use a forecasting model for to predict? And, and what do you think will happen from a data side going forward? I want to make sure I understand your question. So, uh, so it's sort of loaded. <laughs> yeah. So are you asking, it, do I think there's a way to forecast what will happen with regard to to these yeah. say, length of stay yes. data? So as- if we're look at, looking at our current communities that have been really successful. And so now they're seeing in their shelters, pretty much the older in New England here, we have a lot of the older, very feral, um, you know, a lot of return to field, uh, but uh, compromised populations coming into our facilities. We do not have, from a cat standpoint anymore, we do not have, you know, happy-go-lucky, fluffy litter of eight-week-old kittens. So our statistics, our shelter statistics are very different than what you're going to see in another part of the country. So do we use, can we use some of these models to anticipate and predict what's going to be happening across the country? Or is that too much of a broad stroke? Yeah. So off the top of my head, I can't, I can't necessarily think of a way to predict what's going to happen across the country using a data set right now. That said, looking at the you know the community uh the northeast like you're talking about uh where intake goes down live release goes up and in some cases like you said length of stay has actually gone up but hasn't necessarily contributed to more euthanasia if we sort of run that forward uh throughout the country and implement uh more life saving and really more intake diversion programs uh, for community cats. I think it's reasonable to say that we'll start to see that pattern repeat because we because we do in the pockets throughout the country where we have implemented return to return to field. Uh, sometimes, you know, it's kind of kind of what you what you describe is exactly what we see, where as we span neuter these healthy outdoor cats and re- return them to their outdoor homes. Pretty soon the shelters are, uh, no longer offering up these litters of kittens, but you come in and you have, Oh, this is, these are our three cats and one's 15 years old and diabetic. And, you know, you know, peep here has one eye, et cetera, et cetera. And so, yeah, I think, I think that is, is a reasonable expectation to have as we move forward. I think that the, to me, in my experience, the trick is getting more communities to embrace these modern uh, life-saving measures, which are 
pretty simple, but pretty profound. And, and I'm really talking about is these return to field programs that's, that have been so, uh, remarkable at turning communities around in terms of life-saving for, for cats. Well, and the impact is so quickly felt that it's, you, you, you basically convince your, your audience that this is a good idea very quickly because, you know, I'd, I'd love to say that when I go on a weight loss program that I'm successful within the next, you know, two to four months, and that's not necessarily the case. But if you go out there and do aggressive spay neuter, you're going to see results within several months. Yeah. You'll see a change. I mean, I think that, I mean, you asked about sort of a forecasting and I think that one, this isn't, I mean, this is data driven insofar as the data shows that these programs are successful. But I, I do think if we, again, run the, run the camera in reverse in the, previous decades, there was a lot of uproar about pediatric spay neuter. You know, that was, that was a big deal in the, in the nineties. And, and then a few years went by and more and more people got comfortable with it. And now while, you know, not everybody is, uh, certainly not every vet is, is on board for spaying and neutering at, you know, two months or two pounds, it's a, it's a far greater proportion of people who are, and we've really seen the effects of that. And we look back and say, what was that whole six months of age thing? That was crazy. That was, was that just because people's hands were too, you know, big and clumsy? I don't know, whatever. But, um, but I think that we're going to look back with, with cats and say, yeah. And it was crazy. We, we used to just like bring them all into the shelter and it had this crazy idea that we could, you know, adopt all of them out and they would just sit here and they would get sick and, you know, would have bad outcomes. And, we didn't realize they, you know, they just had outdoor homes and we, whether they were, you know, friendly, socialized to people, not socialized to people, they had outdoor homes and, and we were just taking them from there. So then we realized, you know, we just had to sterilize them either surgically or not and put them out there. And man, that works a lot better. Uh, so I do think that's going to happen. And I, and I would be crazy to try to put a timeline on that, but especially through, through the work that, you know, do here locally in Nashville and then throughout the Southeast, particularly with our target zero partners, just see more and more communities using return to field as a tool, taking it on. And as you said, seeing results really quick, really quickly. And it's, it's really hard to argue with those those successes. So Mike, if uh, folks are interested in every nose counts using metrics in animal shelters, which seems to be supported somewhat by Maddie's fund, how would they get the book? And if they have any follow-up questions, how would they find you? Sure. So I should say this book was entirely supported by Maddie's fund. So we want to thank them for sure. They were super supportive and super patient. To find the book, the two routes you can go are shelter metrics dot org. That's the website and you can find it there. I, I think the easiest thing though, is just go to Amazon, uh, look for every nose counts. You can find it there in hard copy. And we actually just, uh, set it up as a fixed format ebook also. So you can, you can download it on, on your tablet of choice or your uh, laptop and have it there as well. That's great. And Mike, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? I just want to, I know that a lot of your listeners are, are out there doing this work, you know, on the ground. I feel really fortunate having 
worked with a lot of folks in the community cat sphere. And I just wanted to thank everybody for, for the work that they do and for driving these efforts, efforts forward, because it makes it honestly just a lot more fun. And thanks a lot for everything. That's great. Mike, I want to thank you again for agreeing to be a guest on my show. And I hope we'll have you on again in the future, maybe uh, book two. <laughs> Would love to. Would love to. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Community Cats podcast. I would really appreciate it if you would go to iTunes, leave a review of the show. It will help spread the word to help more community cats. 